Running Light Ministry Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. You can support these podcasts by making a gift to the ministries at runninglight.org. Welcome to the Running Light Podcast. This is Bo. It's Peter. And it is February 14th, Valentine's Day, and we're going to talk about some crazy demon stuff on this episode. <laughs> Just fitting for Valentine's Day. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Valentine's Day, but we're a a ministry out in Tucson, Arizona that works with men and women and wives. And uh, we do believe in the all-sufficient power of of Jesus Christ to change our lives. So we don't really do anything really special other than point people to the Bible and to their church and and uh, help people to worship God. And, um, and through that, that lives change, you know, so, so it might not seem like much to the modern world but it sure helps us uh, out a lot <laughs> yeah and uh that kind of thing so uh it's interesting the bible says that it's uh that god's given us all things that pertain to to godliness and sometimes we have to just wonder like do we really believe that <laughs> you know do we really believe that uh jesus has what we need um last week it was great we talked a little bit about the nephilim and we talked about angels having sex with women and is that possible? We talked a little bit about the passage in the Gospels where it says that um, uh, angels neither marry nor are given in marriage. And and uh, we didn't comb over that in like a depth, in-depth way. But, you know, there's the idea of what does that mean? And, and does that mean that angels, can they have sex or not? Or that kind of stuff. And there's a lot that's just up in the air with these different topics. Even though if you get on YouTube, it seems like they're really, it's just, amazing the amount of videos that are on these topics yeah i guess people are interested in them <laughs> yeah they are uh they are and it really i think answers some other biblical questions for people um you know some people look at nephilim and and angelic beings and the the what would it would be called like the offspring that's that's half you know demon half i guess humans yeah. is that and that's what the fallen ones are yeah that that's why according to that theory yeah. according to that theory and that's why the killing of the amalekites was important and these kind of things because they yeah. all were related <laughs> uh, there was all kind of this kind of thing so which is weird you know this is kind of <laughs> it's a, a weird <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a side note but it's a it's a weird thing for people to say because if you believe that the flood was done by god to judge this demon, half demon, half human horde individuals, <laughs> horde legion, That's uh, right. it, then why are they still around after the flood? So if God's intent, yeah, if God's intent was to wipe out this half demon, half human hybrid people, uh, then he missed. He didn't. He didn't succeed. Or you'd have to believe that the demons continued to do this after the flood which again would negate God's plan because apparently the reason why he did it in the first place was to get rid of these things and I guess he failed. So it's interesting. Yeah, it, it is an interesting idea for sure and one that we are not going to answer. Right. But <laughs> but what we can talk about is... Incubi. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> That's awesome, dude. <laughs> Incubus. <laughs> Incubus. <laughs> well, the reason why we laugh <laughs> is because I type, I, 
I brought up <laughs> and it's not the band <laughs> <laughs> that's right but but there's like a whole mythology that's based off of these ideas of demonic sexual relations with human beings and it's funny because it's like I've always been into you know, growing up and stuff, and I always like old movies, and I always like B movies, and I'm just one of those guys who t- kind of tends to like things stupid and 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 just lame. Yeah. And and I don't know why, but I just find it really cool and funny, and and I don't know, it just you know, some people play games on their phone and they kind of lamp out, I guess that way, and I tend to go towards these other things. But I, now that I think about it, there's always these kind of movies that uh, are about this, and even our, our friend Bob uh, sent me a text this morning, and he said, hey, the, the the movie from the 80s, like 1982, was called The Entity or something like that. And I was like, whoa, dude, I remembered it. I looked it up, and, and sure enough, it's about a, a male demon. So there's like a gender to it, and that uh, has intimacy with a female. Right. And And then I thought, like, there's a ton of movies like that. You know, and uh, and so when I was looking up Incubus, I was looking up what it says, and it says a male form supposed to lie upon sleepers, especially women, in order to have intimacy with them. Um, they are also believed to do this in order to spawn other incubi. So there's this whole like mythological idea of this. Um, in kind of history, and this became actually quite popular mm. to the point where it would, uh, when people um, would um, talk about being raped or things like that, uh, people would give rise to this idea of incubus, of a demonic entity would be involved in this kind of thing. Right. So, uh, you know, um, you know, what is the biblical merit for stuff like this? First of all, I have one issue, and that is um, we don't know if demons are gender. Right. Right? Right. I mean, the interesting thing is that whenever it the Bible speaks of an angelic, whether it's demonic or um, non, well, a fallen angel or a non-fallen angel, they do all seem to be uh, male, meaning that it uses male pronouns. Now, it doesn't mean that uh, if angels have gender, quote-unquote, uh, it doesn't mean that their genders are like ours. So, for instance, in Isaiah, he sees angelic beings that are not human, but they're amalgamations of different animals. They're really interesting. And then Ezekiel sees angelic beings as being like these giant flaming wheels in the sky. So y- you you get the idea that angels might be a little bit more complex in their makeup than humanity that the idea of like the simple like when when we talk about binary gender in our culture today of like trying to discern between male and female we're like what the heck is that um it seems like angels might be more complex because they don't seem to procreate the way that we do so gender for humanity is predominantly for procreation meaning that the distinction between male and female is not only to show different distinctions in the Godhead, but also through procreation as well. Uh, for angels, they don't seem to procreate that way. So uh, the idea, and specifically the idea of uh, demon having intimacy with a woman to 
procreate to have another demonic offspring uh, is definitely not biblical. The idea that that could happen or would happen, even people who are purveyors of the Nephilim theory, uh, these Nephilim were a new thing. They're not, uh, they're not demons. They are half demon, half human. So even people who believe that theory would say, no, when the demon has sex with a woman, it doesn't make another demon. It makes, it makes something different. It makes something half, half and half. Yeah, and, and you know, obviously the idea of traditional possession, if someone's possessed by an entity, right, a demonic entity, then, of course, intimacy can happen between male and female. Right, or but it wouldn't make a demon. <laughs> right, it doesn't make it necessarily yeah. a demon like yeah. it, like in, uh, you know, kind of the omen, right, the child that's right. born, the Antichrist, or, right. you know, things, movie lore, yeah. you know, stuff like that. Um, and I think... I think like when you go back to Genesis chapter one, when it says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, there is the idea that the hour is not talking about God, but it's talking about the angels, the angelic council or the, the, right. the this council that's with God. Right. The judges, if you will. Right. And the problem that I see with that is that just if you continue to read, let us have dominion over the fish in the sea or let them have dominion over the fish in the sea, over the birds and those things. And then the verse, next verse says, so God created man in his right. own image. And in the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. So then God said, have sex. Right. So... In the image of God, he creates them male and female and says, okay, now have sex. Mm -hmm. So sex is very much a fulfillment of the image-bearing work of the male and the female. Right. So, you know, J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis, they used to call humans sub-creators. Uh, what they mean is that one of the things that is being spoken of here, of us being made in the image and likeness of God, sharing in his characteristics, qualities, and abilities and attributes, would be God's ability to create. So what Tolkien and Lewis saw is that we can create universes like God, but it's a sub-creation, meaning it's not as good as what God can do. And that if I were, what Tolkien did when he created Middle-earth, he created a universe. It's not a real universe. You can only visit it in your imagination. You can't go there. And the beings that inhabit that universe are created by him, but they're not uh, autonomous, meaning they have no autonomy of their own. Uh, Tolkien has to literally breathe life into all of them and dictate what they're doing. God, on the other hand, could create a real universe. You could go there. You could visit it. It's not just in his imagination. Beyond that, the beings he create has uh, autonomy. We can function. We have free will. So God is a higher creator than us. Also, one of the things that they thought they saw is that as God can create in his own image and likeness, he gave mankind the ability to do the same thing through procreation. So when you have intimacy with your spouse or even outside the confines of marriage and a child is created or formed, that child is literally in your image and likeness. It's going to share character qualities of your wife and you. Um, just as the Trinity, when they create in their image and likeness, we ha share attributes of the Godhead, right? We, we share attributes of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit through their creation. So it's, it's an interesting 
uh, like I said, it's a fascinating concept that we share that ability. But angels seem not to have that ability. Like I said, they don't seem to procreate the way that we do. It seems like God does something different with them. Uh, so one of the theories goes is that the reason why the demons did what they did in Genesis 6 is was because of jealousy. That they looked at the special creation of man and they were jealous of that. That God gave mankind the ability to do this, to create in our image and likeness. And the demons were upset about that. And so they had intimacy with the women in order to try to do the same thing. And it created some sort of a, you know... Uh, <laughs> An orc. Yeah, some orc like uh you know, right. abomination thing and uh or, or or the other side is like really smart people are all a product of this. Right. That's the other kind of idea. Right. And they also get this idea from First Corinthians eleven where Paul says that if you don't uh when he's talking about women and their head coverings, he tells them to cover their heads on account of the angels. And so there's n this other idea that um again angels are moved in jealousy when they see the special creation of man, when they see the distinction between men and women and our ability to procreate, they, they get jealous. Um, again, me and I, I don't really believe that way, but this is how the theory goes, that it's, that it's like that. Yeah, I was trying to find where um, it, it's in the early stages of, oh, it's in, in the genealogy in chapter 5, where it, it, I was noticing that in the genealogy, it always says that in his own likeness after his image, he named him, right? you know, and the idea that what you're saying is that we have this creative ability, um, which makes, uh, the reason is, is because we've been made in the likeness and the image of God, who is a creator. So he creates us in his own likeness to be able to procreate and on a small C level, right, creation level. And you see that even biblically speaking, when when Adam's genealogy is being rolled out in Genesis chapter 5, it says, And Adam lived 130 years and begot his son in his own likeness after his image. And what's interesting is it says that right after um, verse 1, where it says, This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day they were created. And then it talks about, you know, everybody that Adam has being made in his likeness, in his image, mm. you know. So you kind of see that that happening. So that that's a good reason of why it, it's hard to move into the demons have gender right. camp. Right. Right. Because then it kind of opens up another can of worms of like, okay, if demons now you're saying have gender, which I can't seem to figure out where that's at in the Bible, Sp you know, really clearly anyway. Right, right. Like uh, I said, they use the male pronoun, but that doesn't really mean much. Right. Because uh, <laughs> like Greek and Hebrew are like Spanish. Yeah. Where you gender, like the computer has a gender. You right. Know, the table has a gender. Right. It's not referring to gender in the sense that we have gender. There's like a, a purpose for our gender. Uh, yeah. That does something, a function. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Yeah, or you just don't see that clearly there. Right. And and But it makes sense that if demons had gender, then really human beings don't have that special ability. Right. And, you know, and then are demons made in the image of God able to bear children? Mm -hmm. I mean, are angels made in the image of God? But But you don't see that. Yeah. You know. 
Um, you just don't see that I see clearly biblically. I'm sure there's books written about how it's really clear in the Bible if you just really knew the <laughs> the Hebrew. Yeah, <laughs> you the really got into the nuances. The Hebrew, and, and then you got into the um, you know Akkadian yeah. language <laughs> in Mesopotamia and yeah. stuff like that and uh, those kind of things. But uh, it's not so clear, obviously. Right. You right. Um, Which again, like would. If if they were right, it would it would lend some credence to their theory because even the animals are able to technically create according to their image and likeness, but it's even one step removed from us. So, like, again, if I have intimacy with my wife and we have children, those children have far more autonomy than if, a let's say, a dog has a, a breed, right? When you look at animals, it's like, do they have certain personality? You know, any of you guys who have owned pets, you know that, yeah, they have a personality, but it's not, it's more like a temperament. Uh, it's not like the personality of a child, you know, where you could literally see your attitudes <laughs> towards life and your, uh, the, the way that you deal with stress and the way you deal with anger. It's not a temperament. It's, it's like a personality trait. It's like, it's like a literal, like I said, they're, they're like a little you, they're, they're a mixture between you and your spouse. It's, it's really unique, uh, even from the animal kingdom. So it might even be that these demons were so <laughs> PO'd at God because it's like here humanity has this this high ability to create like God does. And then even the animals have kind of a lower ability, but they, at least they have an ability. And mm-hmm. angels don't have any, and they're, they're kind of ticked off about that. I yeah, guess. that's so. a good point because animals do create in a sense. So it can't just be that the reproductive ability of human beings that make us in the image of God. There has to be some other thing that's a part of that being made in the image of God as well. Right. The ability to commune um, with a being. Right. That is outside of time and space and matter and and all that. Maybe maybe that's all a part of it. Right. And I, I think that, you know, Lewis, the way that he explains it, I think makes a lot of sense where he says, in one sense, everything's made in God's image because everything in the universe reflects a characteristic of God. So, for instance, he talks about the universe as a whole, and he says, the universe reflects God's characteristics of being powerful and vast beyond comprehension. Uh, He says, the sun reflects God's image, in a sense, because it reflects his holiness and his glory. The, uh, the oceans in their, again, in their depth and their power and their, uh, you know, their, their clarity, yet their non-clarity in there. You know, he talks about it and then he goes to the, the plant life and how the plant life shows God's glory through being a living being and God's the living God. And then he talks about animals, shows a little bit more of it. And then, so his whole point is that the idea that we're made in the image of God is that we're at the pinnacle of that pyramid that everything in a way reflects God, but we just are at the top of that pyramid. Yeah, and it might even give us more clarity to know that Jesus is the perfect image, it says, of the Father. Hmm. You know, Jesus said, he who sees me sees the Father. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1 talks about he is the exact image uh, of God. Hmm. Uh, Not only that, but Colossians chapter 1 says that as well. Right. And so when you look at Jesus, you think of, okay, if that's what the image of God looks like perfectly, Mm. uh, you know, Jesus didn't reproduce. So obviously reproduction wasn't a part of that image. Mm. But what was part of that image in its fullness was the ability to be godly. Right. The ability to live um, in a way that pleases or gives glory 
to the creator. Right. And in that way, it's different from animals entirely. Right. It is. Absolutely. And it's kind of a, again, like this is weird for a lot of Christians. So if it freaks you out, like don't think about it, I guess. But <laughs> it's it's cool. <laughs> but in a sense, Jesus did reproduce. And let me read a passage to show you this. This is Isaiah 53, verse 10. Uh, speaking of Jesus, obviously, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, speaking of Jesus, he has put on him, uh, he has put him to grief when you make his soul an offering for sin. He shall seed, see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Now that word seed in the original language, it's, uh, well, I think they translated it correctly. It's a word that could either be uh, translated semen or offspring. So for instance, in Abraham, his seed shall be called. That's in Genesis chapter 15, I believe, speaking of Abraham's son, Isaac. And then finally, the Messiah being the seed of Abraham. Yeah, and Onan um, spilled, spilled his, his seed right. on the ground. Obviously, it wasn't a seed like a plant. We right. all know what's being spoken of there. Right, so it's either semen or progeny is how this word's used. And it's always used of a man, meaning that there's not a, uh, a women don't have a seed in the Bible in that sense. Uh, they have progeny, but they have a different, obviously, they have something different than semen to, to make that up. So there's this idea that, that Jesus has a seed, that, that there is some sort of a progeny that he produces. And in the New Testament, Paul picks up on this idea, and he says that Jesus is the firstborn of many brethren. He calls many sons to glory, this idea in Hebrews and in uh, Romans and in Colossians, this idea of Jesus being the firstborn uh, of, of building a progeny. And what's he talking about? He's saying that, and this is another interesting thing, why is it that the Son of God be can become a man and not a plant or a bush or another star or something like that? You know, why is he able to do that? And it's this idea that we're such a special creation that God can actually become man because man's created in his image and that the Holy Spirit can indwell man because, once again, we're made in the image of God, that there's this idea that we're a special creation, which is why, and this is, gets into really weird stuff, in the early centuries of Christianity, the it, it's this, no joke, you look it up, it's called deosis, and it means the uh, it's the doctrine that man could become gods. And that sounds very Mormon. Some of you guys in modern days are like, that sounds very Mormon. It's not what you think. What they're saying is because we're made in the image of God, because God has become a man and is still remains a resurrected man in the person of Jesus Christ, and because the Holy Spirit dwells in us, we are such a special creation, higher than even angels, that it would be fitting to call us gods. We're not we are not exactly God because, again, we're sub-creators. We can't create with a capital C like God does. We can't, uh, we're not eternal, uh, pre-eternal like God is. Uh, we don't exist over dominion, have dominion over the entire universe like God does. So there's, there's lesser natures to us, but there's the idea that we are gods in that lesser sense, which is interesting. But at any rate, uh, the idea of Jesus having progeny is this idea that his Holy Spirit, so it, it says the Holy Spirit is Jesus' Holy Spirit. He is a separate person, but he still is the Spirit of Jesus and the Spirit of God comes into the spirit of man and Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6 that we're one spirit with him and he actually makes the connection between a man having sex with a woman and the Holy Spirit having intimacy with our spirit 
and that union creates something new, which is really interesting. So the new birth, the new birth that there's through our fallen fleshly spirit that still retains a portion of the image of God and the perfect image of God through his Holy Spirit come into intimate contact with one another and create something new, a new man, yeah. as Paul calls it in Ephesians 4. There's something new being created and in that's birth. And that's why even, you know, John, the apostle, when he writes in 1 John, he, he catches on this idea where he talks about Jesus's seed remains in us, hmm. you know, which he uses a couple times in the in the writing. But it's a very interesting idea, right? Right. And and one that uh, I know in the latest book that I wrote, which hasn't been published at all, but I have a whole chapter on that. Right. <laughs> you know, just to kind of help people understand some of those concepts. Right. You know, because they are pretty pretty big, pretty weird. They're pretty little heavy. Little yeah. Little <laughs> people, people go, whoa, that's great. <laughs> but I think it's good because it helps you understand, you know, sexual parts and um, sexual fluids is not a bad thing. Right. Is not a necessarily bad thing. That it, in a way, glorifies God. Yeah. That God created it with intent. Yeah. And uh, again, th this this makes, again, that the theory of <laughs> these demons being able to do this, what they would catch on to is they would say, this is why the demons are so jealous, that the seed of God does not dwell in angels, right? Meaning that the Holy Spirit does not indwell angels as far as we know, the way that he indwells us, that there is a specialness to the way that the Holy Spirit dwells us. And yeah. that's why in First Peter, he says that the, the regards of salvation are things that angels long to look into. Yeah, and it might be why, too, the ascension of Christ is such a powerful doctrine mm. because Jesus bears the body, uh, the human body, for the, for the rest of eternity, mm. uh, if you will, the, the all of heaven. He, he bears the mark of his creation. Mm. Um, so, um, you know, demons, he doesn't bear the mark of, of fallen angels or angels. He doesn't right. bear the mark of angels. Which is what Hebrews said, that, that he can't give aid to angels. That's which right. Which is why angels can't be saved in that, that way that we can. Right. So he does, though, give aid to us. And the reason why is because we are bore in his image and he can indwell us for that purpose. And not only that, but he is not even ashamed to bear our our you know the creation the body and take that into heavenly glory mm. and so you know again these are problems of why gender with demons seems to be really ruled out right because then you know how does it affect the doctrine of the ascension and how does it affect these doctrines of it makes uh, them of weird of <laughs> it complicates yeah. them yeah yeah definitely. to be sure yeah, it definitely does. You got to kind of create another whole, whole uh, piece of the puzzle, right? You know, to make it fit that. Which, from our perspective, it makes sense because the question always arises: is if angels have such close proximity and in intimacy with God, in what way do humans excel them? And this would make sense. So, if angels, because some people are like, well, angels don't have autonomy. Well, they clearly do because a third of them fell. And that means they must have free will, right? Dogs didn't fall. You know what I mean? Like, you know, cats didn't fall. The the creation fell as a result of our free will decision, but they didn't have a free will decision to fall from God. But angels did. 
angels fell. So that means that they do have free will. Angels, that means that angels are capable of love and they are capable of autonomy. So there's all these things that angels can do and it's like, well, in what way do we excel them? And then this would make sense. In this way, we excel them. Mm. We, we have gender. We can create our image. We can, you know what I mean? We excel them in this way. And that's why God, we're more reflective of God's nature than they are. That's so interesting. Um, our next podcast, we're going to do it a little longer. And we're going to talk a little bit. Uh, we're going to get into the book of Revelation a little bit and talk about the imagery in that book mm. and why that kind of imagery is used um, in the latter parts of the book um, about kind of uh, destruction, wickedness. And it's a real pornographic scene in in the book. And that's what always kind of has gotten me a little weirded out at times with Christians, uh, the Christian culture is they're, they're always like, you know, uh, evil talking pornography. But the problem is, is obviously when you open up your Bible, um, we have some, some pretty gnarly pornographic scenes you know, um, there. Yeah. And Revelation has one of the, the gnarliest ones, of course, with a whore that is that is riding the beast. Yeah. And um, you just get this kind of, woo, this image in your mind and just like, wow, what yeah. is that? You yeah. Know? And <laughs> John, uh, who's following us right now, said, uh, progeny of Jesus by the Holy Spirit. Talk a bit more. <laughs> so, <laughs> so one of those deep topics, man. So maybe, maybe yeah, next time we can get mo- a little more into that if you want, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely, and maybe I'll have to pull out the book too and kind of look at, look at, uh, you know, things I've, I've written about. Right. But, um, yeah, no, there's a, I, I've read your chapter on it. It's really good. But, uh, John, if you want some reading on it and anyone else who's interested in these topics for this week, check out that passage from Isaiah 53 that I talked about. Check out, um, the first John, what was that? First John what? First John chapter three and verse nine. Yes. Uh, for his seed remains in him. And you know what I was thinking, too, is, you know, obviously, um, you know, the offspring of Christ is the church. Right. You know, making many sons. I right. think in the book of Hebrews. It's Hebrews 2. Yeah. Bringing many sons to glory. Yeah. Bringing many sons to glory. Right. So when you think of uh, uh, progeny, right, you're thinking of osp- offspring, right? Right. Um, you know, that he's bringing many sons to glory. Um, he is the firstborn. Right. Um, Colossians 1, verse 15. Right. Also, Romans 8 is another good section to read through. I'll give you the exact address in a sec. Uh, Ephesians 4, verse 17 through 24 is a good place to go. Um, and then Colossians chapter 2 um, is also a good place to go for this. And then I'll give you I'll give you the exact address of that one. And then First Corinthians six, that was the one that I talked about where Paul makes the connection between intimacy with a man and a harlot actually, and the intimacy that the Holy Spirit has with us, uh, which is really, again, it's it's really fascinating. It's kind of crazy that he makes that connection, but it's First Corinthians six verse twelve through seventeen, and then finally Romans chapter eight where Paul is talking about uh, becoming in the image and likeness of God. Uh, throughout, If you just read the entire chapter of Romans 8, he talks about the intimacy of the Spirit with man in the beginning. Then he talks about suffering in the middle. And then he wraps it up again uh, in verse 28 through 30. And I'll read verse 29 right now, which is in the center of that. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Now listen to this part 
that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brethren. So there's this idea that we're being conformed to the image of God through the Son via his Holy Spirit. So it's really kind of cool that we're, we're now sons of God because of this. Yeah. Yeah, being born spiritually, you know, born again. You know, it kind of makes the idea of being born again uh, even more intense. Uh, you know, that, you know, God's spirit along with our spirit makes our spirit, quickens our spirit, mm. you know. Um, and I think of like uh, a passage like Titus. Um, that kind of just what I just said reminds me of Titus where it says, um, uh, verse 5 of chapter 3, not by works of righteousness have we been saved, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So it's the work of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us, which is really cool. It says on us, right, abundantly because, you know, we talk a little bit about the the work of the Holy Spirit being within and upon and those are intimate terms, you know, of the Old Testament. So it's interesting even here when it talks about the the new work, the regeneration of our spirit, you know, the r- it's making us new, actually. It's not mm-hmm. taking the old, but it's making us new. Right. You know, um, um, it's a work through the Holy Spirit he, who he poured out upon us. Again, an intimate term. Right. That he comes upon us. He pours it out upon us. And I also think about Colossians 1 where he says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Yeah, (laughs) in. Yeah, that's right. So he's in us and that's somehow making it, like you said, making us more pure, making us more godlike. And it would be easy for someone to say, well, no, he's taking your old person and he's making it newer. But that's not the phraseology of the New Testament authors. They don't say that. They say that there is a distinction between the old man and the new man. Yeah. So the old man still exists, and the new man is created. And in Ephesians, he actually uses that word. He says that the new man is created in God's image and desires to live holy. So it's like this new, in a way, a new person is created in you. Um, It's obviously different than that, but he's using that language to help us understand this really complex spiritual topic. Yeah, absolutely. So it's interesting, but the study of sex is kind of really it gets into that link of the spiritual things. And and that makes sense to me because, you know, God has a purpose in our sexuality. Hmm. You know, if it's not just random. There's a there's a meaning to it. Hmm. And it wouldn't surprise me that we when we go and we fully know as we are known, Meaning when we finally realize everything the Bible talks about, there's going to come a time where we are going to know as we have been known by God. Mm. Um, and that we're going to be blown away by just how intricate our bodies are and how the functioning of our bodies all bear the image you know, of God. And uh, anyway, that's another. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thanks for uh, watching and listening. And we'll be with you guys uh, at another date next week. So thanks for staying tuned. We'll talk to you guys later. Bless you. Bye-bye. Check out runninglight.org to begin our two video series, Take Flight and Love or Lust. You can also send us questions on Twitter at Running Light or on our runninglight.org podcast page. Like us on Facebook at Running Light Ministries, Psalm 36, 8. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures.